On this episode, why don't poor people have MacBooks? More like on this episode, there's someone sitting on our porch that we can't get rid of. Because <laughs> we're ladies and we don't know how to say fuck off. And our neighbor is like crossing many, many proprietary, <laughs> proprietary boundaries. It's true. And like comes over and hangs out on our porch and is trying to talk to us all the fucking time and get us to do things like yeah. hang out with him mainly yeah uh, we're and he's like a middle-aged greek like olive farmer i don't even know not even really not well, i don't know what farmer. he does other than that. i don't know we're we're persevering through a lot right now to bring you this episode because also our charger is broken and computer charger Lily's doesn't exist Woke up very early to research. And then yeah. now forgets everything because her brain's a blank, <laughs> beautiful, smooth slate of tired. Uh, we don't have Wi-Fi, so. Yeah. Yeah, if so you're listening to this, it's a God has smiled down upon us and you. <laughs> if this gets to you. If this gets to you. We're in Greece. Because, I if I said that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're in like, we've been having a wonderful time in Greece until this past 24 hours. Yeah. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. Today's episode. Sweating? Yeah. She is sweating. Yeah, I can confirm. You see? Yeah. I have huge gross pit stains. I need to bleach the shit out of the shirt. I feel like, okay. So today's episode is about what? Today's Olivia. episode, I tell you guys and Smith the story of the dacha. What was cool in this like really um, intensive research into the dacha for me was that I realized that it is not a history that I expected and not very uniform. Like, mm. there, it's hard to sort of trace, like, a linear... Da- I mean, there's a linear dacha tradition, but I always thought the dacha was, like, a... It's always been there in Russian lore and all this stuff. Okay. But it turns out not so much. Wait, before you s- start this, which sounds very interesting, are you going to explain what the dacha is? Yes, okay. I will. Um, but I'm just... Yeah, so the history of the dacha ends up being, like, very much a history of property rights in Russia, a history of land use and land ownership, but just the concept of ownership, property ownership. Okay. And of course, the history of leisure or like a leisure culture or like the what? Why leisure? Leisure? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Apology. Leisure. Except it's leisure because... <laughs> Leisure. Leisure. Just like it's called the... Wait, what was your other thing that you pronounced weirdly? Whatever. First things first, we need to define the dacha. And the first thing I'm going to do is say it's etymology, because I like to do that, Mm -hmm. which is from the word dat, which is a verb to give. Okay. And dacha... Is it the the verb that's usually used? Like it's the most common? Yes, very much. But it's like an ancient, you know, old Russian word. Okay. Unlike computer. (laughs) (laughs) Or super. Super <laughs> international, most annoying word. Mm, so to give, and that's because it originated as a like allotment given to people by a czar or another person, given to like 
more regular people. For free? Yeah. So, okay. okay so the the allotment means it was given for free, but that doesn't mean there's anything on it. Right. It doesn't mean that, like, the materials for building are on it, but, like, the giving of a piece of land. Okay. And wait, what, so dot means is the give. Dot is the give, and dacha is, like, a noun created from the thing that's Cha given. is, like, something they will add to things. Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's not the most common, like, noun ending, but it, it's, like, you can think of it as meaning, like, almost, like, gift, which would be dar, also from the mm. root. Okay. Or, like, um... Yeah, thing given. Okay. Okay, allotment. All right. Okay. So there's an etymological, like, definition. And then there's what actually dacha is, which I was saying is, like, a lot more mixed up. But first I want to explain a couple of dachas. The first dacha I ever saw was, so this is, like, present time, my life. The first dacha I ever saw. In the flesh. Which is very much, like, a normal dacha. It wasn't, like, a historical monument or something with my host parents' dacha. And it was like a kind of wooden hut with two floors, but really small. Okay. No running water. More like a cabin. Like a cabin, not a hut. Okay. An outhouse. Okay. Because there's no running water. And like a small plot of land around it. Like the front was all raspberry bushes and the back had apple trees, which is what they like harvested Mm -hmm. a lot of. They didn't have, I don't think they had a vegetable garden when I was there at least, but they had like a yard in the back. And how far from the city was it? It was... Probably, I don't remember, but I think it was less than two hours. Okay. And it was surrounded by other little wooden dachas, very close to it. So it's not like a farm feeling. And it also had a banya on it, which is not necessarily the case always, but it had a separate banya house that was like a little wooden, even smaller wooden cabin. Okay. Inside of the dacha, like it's very sort of like rustic and simple. Again, no running water, no heat. So, like, they would only go there when it's not freezing cold. And the other thing about it is that there was a particular, like, way of dressing when you're there, which is that you just, like, take clothes from... There's clothes at the house always, mm-hmm. like, a sweater, hat, or whatever, and they're, like, dacha clothes. And you, like, put those on when you're there because you can get dirty in them and they're... Whatever. They're just extra clothes. And a lot of people do kind of tend to, at least now, have, like either they store a bunch of shit or just have a bunch of crap in their dacha that they like sort of use but it's like instead of throwing it out you just like just put it in the dacha it's like a garage space or like attics for some people and then the other dacha that i saw just to give you an idea of the variety the other dacha i've spent time at is farther from the city in like a it's more like in a village doesn't feel like i mean there are dachas there but there are also people who live there Mm -hmm. And it's polyostatra, and it's like much, it's like a completely more elaborate layout in the sense that it's probably the land space is probably like, I was trying to think, imagine like si- at least six times as big. Like, what a lot how of how big is this? Can you estimate? So, like, maybe two, an acre, three quarters. Maybe acre. it's because there's like at least three buildings on it, uh-huh. and land between it, and a garden, and like a sort of separate area you know like there's a lot of space in between everything and that's because um so the thing about their dacha is that it has like an original building that's wooden and small like the the one i was describing that i went to before but then they've spent like at least the whole post-soviet era building other buildings on it and like making it expanding it buying up other plots next to it okay plots so that they have like more (laughs) of a 
homestead. Okay, so this is a technical question. Is the building the dacha or the whole thing is the dacha? The whole thing. And the thing, whole thing cannot have a building on it and still be considered a dacha. Yes, but that's only at a certain period that happens. Only does that the starts... point at which you've received the plot. No, no, no. The point at which you, I guess, in the very beginning, yeah, you could call the plot a dacha. But the word dacha that could mean like a place where you grow stuff that may or may not have a construction on it okay. is like a post-war phenomenon. And I'll get into why that is okay. because it, it matters, basically. Like, the meaning of dacha changed throughout the Soviet era and throughout its history. So I just want to give you these two ideas of these, like, modern dachas so that you have, like, it's, like, a very broad term. Because, like, her, she has a big main house that's winterized, meaning it has heat, has running water. It's like a house. Holy is dacha. Yeah. yeah. That's the house. It has, you know, a garage and a, and a big kitchen with a Russian oven in it. It's like a big, you know, a... a mid-sized but like perfectly house-like house basically and then on the same property they have the original home dacha which is where their like caretaker lives now okay of the land and it's winterized so that the caretaker can live i imagine is winterized now okay but it wasn't originally okay they have like some animals there so they have chickens and geese Mm. and then there's like just garden kind of rambling garden like yard between all of this and then there's a separate banya house which has like bedrooms in it it's actual full house uh, with bedrooms oh, upstairs <laughs> and the banya in it then there's like a summer terrace like raised up with glass walls and a glass ceiling you know like the like a gazebo like a, like a covered gazebo that okay. has doors and stuff okay you can open all the doors but you can also keep the glass closed okay and what they call the summer kitchen which is just a separate kitchen near the garden that like ends up being where whenever they have big events there like family gatherings and stuff which they have a lot like all the dishes go there instead of in the main house because the kitchen's smaller in the main house and they need to be able to do the dishes there. Okay. And, you know, people, there's always people preparing food there if there's like an event of some sort. And then there's a garden, like a pretty big garden with a greenhouse and stuff. And okay. Like, you know, produces vegetables. And that's also a dacha. So like you can, you can go to that dacha year round. You can like kind of live off the land a little bit there, at least somewhat. And then the other thing about that dacha is that it's surrounded by neighbors that there's a mix. There's other dachniki, they're called, people who go up to their dachas on the weekends or whenever. It's a dacha, but they live in the city. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, like, the person they buy their dairy from, the, like, milk couple. They live <laughs> in... <laughs> they have some cows. The milkman and his wife. Yeah. Well, she sometimes yeah. buy from her no, sometimes. No, obviously. Um, they have, like, this sign that... When I first went there a few years ago, uh, I saw the sign, and when I go there now, it's the same sign. It's just like handwritten. It just says milk, like near their driveway. Milk. And you go up, um, Malako, Malako, and you go up the driveway, and it's just this sort of like it's really run down. But they they evidently live there year round. I'm pretty sure. Um, pretty run down farm, and they make amazing milk products. And they have their cows, and they have a bunch of for some reason abandoned cars and stuff there. And then there's also, like, a neighbor of hers who is a full farm, like, a full... His father is a full farmer, and now he's, like, inheriting it. He's sort of maybe a few years older than her, but around her age. Uh-huh. And who's, around who's our, her, age. our age. Polia. Yeah. yeah. Around our age. And, like, that's a family that... Yeah, they also live there, but in a sort of, like, wealthier setting because they have this, like, functional of uh, meat and dairy, I think, farm. Okay. And so... 
so and it is a village and it has a church and a graveyard also where like family members are buried and it has this sort of like this ethos in the family of like Poland her brother spent all their summers up there and her grandma and mother spent summers in a village nearby and there's just a lot of like like it's very much their home and that will be um sort of contrasted when I talk about the history because basically so you have these two ideas of these two different types of dachas the one that you can visit only in the summer that's like not very comfortable and the one that's like fully a house an amenity house Mm yeah okay so one of the like parts of one of the things that I think both of those dachas share is that there's a sort of hybrid use happening there where people go there to relax and get out of the city sort of but they also go there to do like work and it's really important that at least for Polia's grandmother and mom I think but especially her grandmother that when she goes there she's gardening she's building things I mean the whole like complex that they have was built over time and was a product of uh mainly like her grandma's motivation to improve on it improve on improvement so it's constantly like a site of work not not particularly a site of rest so it's also a place where you like escape the city and you're in nature and you can read and relax and stuff and that concept of the dacha being a place that is also functional and that you need to like work at and especially a place that provides sustenance like having a garden or something so that appears in a more mass way in the post-war period and in during the war during world war ii um there is this practice of giving out allotments to people the government gives allotments to people of land that are supposed to be for gardening only you're not supposed to build on them okay and that was more strict in in the pre-war period in the 30s and the and early we, are we are we talking about like just moscow and leningrad okay so we are talking now about like larger than moscow and leningrad but the phenomenon did start in peter in petrograd okay so pre-soviet petersburg okay. is the dacha phenomenon but then when you get into the soviet era it there's a reassignment of all types of land and all types of ownership and everything has to be like recategorized and stuff and the Dachas are no exception. It's not a, a full mass phenomenon in the like pre-war period, the early Soviet period. But people are using Dachas as like leisure spaces to go there in the summer. They may be rented or something like that. Okay. But then we get to the war and there's still a pretty strict division between allotment that you get and you grow stuff on and place that has like a summer home on it or something a house on it the allotment is like you're gonna grow food to feed your family not yeah sell. yeah you're not really supposed to sell it okay yeah you're not supposed to sell it most of the time but like in the 40s so when the war starts there's still that division that was developed in the 30s between this allotment and this house outside the city there's a division but what starts happening is people start growing on their land like at a more mass scale and more allotments are given out and more land is converted for growing because it's a crisis time people are in St. Petersburg there's the blockade so there's like mass starvation people are making gardens and like all of the parks mm-hmm. kind of I guess communal gardens are doing whatever they can in 1942 you have 5 million people working the land to 1945 you have 18.5 million in okay. the space of three years okay. 18.5 million people working the land, growing stuff in these allotment-type garden things that are given to them. And so this is like the period after the war, during the war, 
it's not just about growing stuff. People also, this is a period when the, um, the division between like leisure space and workspace starts to merge. And it's definitely by necessity during the war. But like people also, there's stories of people escaping to their dachas during the war and like living there in a very, what we would consider primitive way, <laughs> okay. which just means like farming, like subsistence. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Subsistence farming. Like out of necessity, not out of some kind of like romantic ideal. I wanted to talk about this period because after the war, you start to get like an encouragement of this type of individual, almost like homestead lifestyle where like people are encouraged and given a little more help from the government in terms of like materials and, and places to build things on their own, to build a single family home, which was not happening before the war mm-hmm. as much. I mean, it was like not as encouraged and urbanization was encouraged and people were also living in like very communal and cramped ways and so post-war you do get sort of like a shift in ideology a little bit where like it's more okay to build a single family home and you can especially if you can support your family with food food, yeah or you're supplementing the rations which existed but they were like basically starvation level Mm -hmm. rations at least during the war to contrast that to what's happening now i mean the the like blending of garden and dacha is important and the like work environment of the dacha is important and sort of like holds through through the 90s when it's again becomes like important to supplement your what you can afford to buy in stores or something like that with supplement your income with food you grow yeah your income (laughs) and like just to be able to yeah to be able to grow your own vegetables is like much more valued in a functional way in like say the 90s whereas now I think it's like I think people still do that but it's just not so much of a like survival based or like escape based reasoning behind it but you still have like the ethos of work whereas that's like important whereas that wasn't so important before the war so that's the through line Mm -hmm. from like the war period of like survival and and I also think has to do with why people like also have their little hoarding things where they like keep a bunch of old clothes and stuff there just to give you an idea of like also the massness of the phenomenon it sort of started becoming a mass phenomenon in the 40s or at least becoming um possible for it to be a mass phenomenon with this like merging of work and leisure whatever places leisure and wait leisure is what you like right yeah okay i love it (laughs) i love leisure because even though like so the building codes and stuff say like you can't build anything on the gardens but that starts first people are like well we need somewhere to put our tools or like it's it's far out of the city or to travel like two hours to get here and garden like what if we need a place to rest and sleep and so each sort of localized region regional soviet or whatever district can like people start to uh petition them and they sort of make up their own solutions to the law, which is that you're not supposed to build on that. So and this some is like post-war. Say, yeah. Okay. Some people say, yeah, you can build a shed. Okay. And then like, it turns out some sheds are like 28 meters, square meters and are like very much Have a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like, like people, so yeah, people sort of either they get lax authorities who let them do that or they just do it and then nobody finds out about it until later. And mm-hmm. then it's like, uh, they get away with it kind of. And then in like the 90s, by the 90s, 93, 94, when there were surveys done, one in four people in some areas and then 
one in three and others, so even more, had a dacha of some sort. Okay. And this is in seven major cities in Russia. Whoa. So it's like a it's like a mass all Russia national phenomenon. All Russia. Yeah. And that's I don't have stats for like right now, but um I I do. Wait, can I grab my computer? Yeah. I have it over on my computer. Okay, so the, the there's a few different ones. The the percentage of families with garden or plot in 2003 was 36%. And then the percentage of households with dachas in 2003 was what looks to be about like 27%. So a little more than a quarter. Yeah, a little more than a quarter. So, but it's about the same. Yeah. So I think, so, and one of the things, like, I don't know if that but, has that's, statistic, wait, but I, I just want to draw attention to how, like, amazing that is. That's like if one in four Americans had, like, a little garden home. Yeah, that's a lot. But, but again, like, okay, and the other thing is that at least from the 93, 94 surveys, only 6.6% of those quarter to a third of people who had dachas had winterized dachas where you, you mm. know, with heating and stuff. Uh, I don't know about running water, but heating. A lot of people across the board reported that they were planning on winterizing. I'm planning. So maybe 10 years later, I don't know if you, that, that didn't have stats on that, right? Maybe by the 10 spin. years later, like the percent is, I bet, up a lot from six mm-hmm. of winterized. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And people have been also like renovating and doing sort of what Polia's family model shows what they had originally, I think, in the past, whatever, 10, 20 years so that the dacha just is getting increasingly more livable for like longer periods of time. Because the Russian climate, at least in St. Petersburg and in a lot of parts of the country, makes it so that if it's not winterized, you really can only spend like three or four months there probably. Mm-hmm. And people did do that. I mean, part of the dacha culture from the very beginning is basically sending some part of the family there for the entire summer. Either the parents go there for some reason or most more commonly that I've heard is that kids go there with the grandparents and the parents Mm -hmm. stay in the city and work. And so the kids spend the entire summer just like in a village somewhere. Make sure they like fortify their Russian soul. Yeah, fortify their Russian soul. So yeah, let's get into that because I find that to the Russian Russian-ness of the dacha concept to be really interesting because now... In popular imagination, and starting as early as, I don't know, probably post-war when it started to become more of a mass phenomenon, because the, the period, the whole like Hushov period from the 50s, 60s up until the 90s is just an expansion of this phenomenon, I would say, like a popularization. The popular, in the popular imagination throughout all of that time, you get this like concept of the dacha as being yeah, like a return to your sort of innate Russian-ness. Um, something really has like a folk quality or fairy tale quality yeah. or something, right? Like it's yeah. like related to the Russian izba, which is a peasant hut. Okay. Um, and, you know, the oven, which is very important in folklore. And people build these ovens in their dachas, not right away, but they start to do that when they can. And so all of that makes you think like the dacha always been there and it's always been Russian. Yeah. But what's interesting is that the original dacha was very much an elitist and westernized or western-based, western Europe-based phenomenon. The first iterations of the dacha phenomenon in Russia are in St. Petersburg in the 1700s under Peter the Great. 
And how that happened was he built this really elaborate palace in Peterhof, which is like, it's a suburb, quote unquote, of St. Petersburg. I was trying to think of how many kilometers it is, and I'm not sure. But like, it's not super far Peter away. Peterhof. <laughs> it's probably like, I don't know, 40 minutes by train or something. Okay. And Peterhof is like the Russian Versailles. That's what it's called. It has fountains it's very elaborate palace and there's a road that basically goes like straight there from st petersburg that you know he would take on his little horsey carriage yeah and the first dachas was peter the great giving out land along this road to members of his court Uh. and being like just so everyone would be like closer to him he's like build something here build something here (laughs) but he had a lot of like requirements i mean not necessarily requirements but um you had to make a nice-looking house. Okay. And these were, like, beautiful mansions, and they were, like, ridiculous. I mean, some, some the person who I am only using, <laughs> um, I was reading about how this time there's sort of a, like, at least in, in Petersburg, an architectural vacuum where instead of having one style it's like using styles from all different places eclectic but all different places in europe or all no, different places classical, globally no globally globally like there were dachas dachas quote unquote again manor houses uh-huh. like they're big beautiful houses with minarets with like gothic towers with those classical greek column looking things okay. but a lot of different things so there's like this probably really amazing looking row which um, you've probably built. seen right i like feel like a lot of these don't exist anymore because mm. i don't th- i mean i've definitely been on that road but i didn't know about this until i read about it were they called dachas at the time is that a word that was used yeah they were called dachas although it's a little bit confusing because there is like another Russian word, usadba, which is like for the country estate. But these aren't really country estates. Like these aren't like where Tolstoy lived in his Yasnaya Palyana, which is like a more traditional aristocratic country home. This is a little bit different because it really is close to the city and it's like, again, given plots of land. And, he, and now it might be fully in the city. Right? Possibly, though. I... I know this road, like I can imagine the road. It's just okay. like this straight path kind of that um, turns into whatever you can call suburbs in Russia, which is not exactly suburbs. So uh, maybe parts of it, yeah, maybe the closer parts are in the city proper. Okay. But I don't, yeah, and I don't remember seeing these buildings. So I feel like they either don't exist or I'm blind. Okay. Or I wasn't paying attention. Seen any and minarets in not, the city lately? <laughs> they're definitely not in the same condition as they were because I the way it's described by like you know people writing diaries from that time and stuff is just like really striking. Like as you go down this path to the Versailles, and like Peter the Great wanted it to be that way. I mean, he wanted people to take care of their land plots that he gave them, and they were called dachas. Yeah. Okay, so so the the are you saying the dacha tradition comes from Europe because? royals were also doing this where they like would have a path out to their country palace and there would be like multiple houses along the way or you're just saying because like the architecture or because peter was like obsessed with europe yeah i think um more the second because i don't know if this exact phenomenon existed but i think that people were modeling on like what they thought 
of a European country palace, country palace or whatever it would look like, okay. or a mansion or something like that. Or I don't know what those are called, an estate. Yeah. But these also, there was some interesting like public private stuff happening at this point where some of them had really elaborate gardens and they were like open to the public. Oh. And you could like go and look at them and look upon the home. Three cheers to Peter the Um Yeah, or individual members of his court, maybe more. But I say, I guess I say Europeanized and Westernized because that's what I read. But that's a good question of like, what is so European about it? But it's definitely elitist. Like it's definitely elite. It's yeah. a small, um, you know, closest circle of people right. who are building what we don't consider to be a dacha at all in the imagination now. Very much not like a little Russian peasant hut. Right. Yeah, that's where the the original sort of phenomenon comes from. But like Moscow ends up developing a very... Uh, prominent i don't know Dacha like a, a dacha culture and then other cities develop as well but it actually becomes like closer to what we think of as a dacha now still like early on before the soviet era so in the in the 1800s in terms of like the structure that's built on the structure property. who's part of it that kind okay. of stuff because like in the 18 i think it was in the 1840s in 1837 that's this year marker that's when you there's a you get a little bit of a shift in accessibility to the surrounding areas um, because a train line is built from St. Petersburg to this town called Tsarskaya Silo, which is where one of the Tsar's palaces is. (laughs) You don't need to know which one. It's in a need-to-know base. (laughs) And also Pavlovsk, which is like this really cool... Remember I mentioned Pavlovsk? It's a grounds area that's designed as an English garden, meaning it's completely mm-hmm. curated but it looks like wild okay. like a big park a huge park with and hills this is outside trees. of moscow or petersburg, petersburg. okay petersburg. and so and that place also has um, a palace and it was built for catherine the great son pavel pavlovsk okay. and so these trains like these train these train lines open to those two places which make them more accessible to the general public and that's when you also start getting like the phenomenon of the leisure dacha that I'm, the leisure dacha that I'm referring to, meaning a place, so we're still in St. Petersburg, but I think this is when it's developing in Moscow as well, a place where urban people go to get out of the city, to whatever, recuperate and like breathe natural air and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they do this in various ways. And the people who do it um, at that time are, it's starting to sort of open up, but it's like, what you can call the middle class, though, for some reason, I mean, not for some reason, for reasons, historians, like, don't agree about the existence of a middle class in Russia. Pri- so we're talking prior about to the Soviet Union. Ever. Ever? Yeah. Even like, now? Uh, what? What does that can't. mean? Because they, like... What they, do they say? They're just, like, everybody's poor and then there's the no, ruling class? There's... I mean, I understand. I mean, it would have to be a different answer in different eras, like... At this time, when I'm ta- when I say like the quote unquote middle class in the 1840s or whatever, I just mean like people who start to have a little bit of extra money that they could spend on something like renting a dacha in the mm-hmm. summer, and that would be merchants, shopkeepers, so urban, not hard labor workers, okay. and not government workers, okay, and then also probably clerks and government workers. Those people start renting, and a lot of times they rent like a house from like a peasant or something i don't know where the peasant goes but they'll (laughs) 
they're not necessarily they're not necessarily building their tachas i just mean they're like there's a lot of advertisements in um local newspapers to rent a dacha and then for the aristocracy so not the people who are in peter the great's court because now he's dead and it's 1800s but for the aristocracy you start getting rentals on like a much higher luxury level where you can like there's advertisements to say like you know with I don't even know servants and a barn okay. and like a garden and there's all this stuff prepared for you and you just and go. are people like hunting out there is that a thing do you know I don't know I think Russians have a hunting tradition they don't have a fishing tradition hmm. but I don't know so you you do you get a range of like sizes and stuff in this in different advertisements you see for dachas for rent in this case when you're saying it's a dacha for rent was it a plot of land that was given or now they're just using the term to mean like a country house yeah no now it's not necessarily well it maybe it was given to the person who built it but the person who rents it is just renting it right. in a more basic way you get for free for one week yes <laughs> And this is, so the, the 1840s is like the first mass wave. Because by mass, I just mean not only super aristocratic people. People also talk about St. Petersburg, at least, as being really horrible in the summer, in the 1800s. I mean, this is, a, this is the Petersburg of Dostoevsky, where Raskolnikov is in Crown Punishment, is like, you know, everyone's left. And he's... Like, he's in the city as a poor student with, like, the drunkards and, like, the really poor people. Like the swamp air. Yeah. And it breathing swamp ass air. <laughs> and it's hot and everything's, like, sickly and yellow and there's disease. Okay. So the other thing is, like, there's these big collar breakouts or some kind of disease mm-hmm. breakouts that happen every so often in the summer. And so people are also going away for their health and to escape that or they send their kids away and they're like, at least you get to get out of here because like disease and festering conditions and all of that would happen in the summer. But in the winter, it would be okay because everything's cold and dead. (laughs) There's a whole Dodger culture at this time in the 19th century, really close to the city, like on the islands, on this island that's now a bunch of rich people live there and has a big park, Kristofsky. They were like, which Dacha's is part of the city rented. center technically now, or no? It's, it's yeah, one of the, I mean, it is. The islands are, yeah, okay. are considered, they're not exactly like the central district, but they're very much. But the it center. could take you like, well, by today's, like if you were biking from like the central, central part of the city to this island, it could take you like maybe 30 minutes. Yeah, almost. definitely. Okay. Yeah. That's like, like Pushkin, I think. Some famous people stay in Dachas, um, in that, like that proximity to the city. Like okay. it's really. A lot of the what we think of the city now is like rural feeling mm-hmm. or looking. And just there's a, I mean, obviously, it's, that's what I mean. I mean, not just the shifting definition over time, but like who use them and what they use them for, it like is like wildly different in different times. And like what wealthy people are doing in the 1840s with their dachas and having like balls and parties and stuff is different from what like a shopkeeper is doing right. with the dacha to like escape cholera. <laughs> Um, run away swim away yeah I want to talk about the 30s and Stalin 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 Stalin. our favorite brother Stalin I forgot not favorite but yes Um, least favorite we hate him we hate Stalin Stalin Uh, lived in what he called a you know I think that we don't hate him sometimes you have to sacrifice a lot for the good of the collective you heard it here he was a strong leader 
You heard it here first. He won the war. He won the war. I mean, um, the last 20 years of his life after his dear wife committed suicide in their Moscow apartment. Wait, how old was she when she did that? Do you know? I don't know. 50s? I guess so. I mean, how, how, what, what, how old know? was he when he died? I don't know the details of her suicide. I'm sorry. <sighs> okay. Episode, next episode. Yeah. Stalin's wife's suicide. Yeah. It didn't interest me that much, honestly, but she committed suicide. And the last 20 years of his life, he doesn't want to live in that apartment where she died. So he moves into his dacha outside of Moscow. And it's just, it's a big house with people and servants and whatever, like people waiting on him and, and a lot of stuff. And of course, important stuff happens there. People, his, he takes his meetings there, like right, his right. circle of, uh, what are they called? confidence confidence but the the, yeah the people in and the just higher ups in government including hushov etc he was there folks it's another reminder um are like go there to have their meetings in his whatever conference room where apparently he had like portraits of them on the wall and they would all sit near their portrait (laughs) a loser he's like what is you who are you again it's like labeled (laughs) Nikita but yeah so he spends the last 20 years of his life at his dacha but I think he has multiple dachas and they're always sort of like they have to always be on the ready or whatever to like accommodate him whenever he wants to show up at them he had 24 hour staff so we had like two shifts of staff that would just like cycle through in both places always ready Uh, always ready to be rich whenever Stolly Stoll wants to come (laughs) yeah to be Stalin. Oh, to be Stalin. What great um, Yeah. The poor dear. <laughs> the poor dear. <laughs> poor, poor Stalin. Poor, poor Ben. <laughs> In Stalin, it's also under him that we get the 1930s fun dachas that I like to talk about, which are these sort of status-based dachas that have to do with your profession and uh-huh. your type of profession well yeah have to do with your profession and your status within that profession your okay. position okay now, this is the era when you get these little colonies of different professions like the famous writers colony okay. is a group of writers including like pasternak that people have heard of i don't know maxim gorky and they live in at least pasternak lives in this writer's colony quote-unquote which is just a collection of summer houses dachas called peri del kino don't know how it's pronounced hope that peri del kino <laughs> peri del cano cano peri winkle blue um and sure like during the war they were growing potatoes and basically like they were stuck there but um not during the war this was yeah this was an elite neighborhood area and then after the war you also get elite areas like generals army people military people higher up military people were given like the best dacha areas that's also important like which area of of the outskirts of a city are like called the best ones they're given special treatment right after the war but one of the things is that you can have basically like how this was reconciled how this type of phenomenon was reconciled with like soviet ideology of not owning your property was that you didn't own it you just lived there you were given it and so this comes back to sort of the original dacha meaning you were given it and everything inside it wasn't yours and and like 
I mean, to the point where the furniture has like like inventory numbers on it. And oh, stuff. so it's furnished. Yeah. Okay. It's furnished and it's like nice. Okay. And heated and water and everything. But mm-hmm. I mean, in the nicest cases, it's not the case for like all of the um, upper echelons in this period because like you also had people who party maybe high up party members but not high enough who were given like a couple of rooms in a communal dacha Mm, situation i wonder if that like if that felt magical to people because like if the government gave me a country house that was furnished that would feel like even with inventory numbers on it (laughs) i would that just feels like really outside of the realm of any possibility I know, especially if you were a writer, which in history is not usually like a lucrative profession. Yeah. Or a like lot of like it's not lauded by systems. It's not valued, yeah, yeah. by like the government. All the shitty journalists at the New York Times are gonna get their very own country homes. I mean so they can write their op eds about how like I don't know, Obama's the greatest president. And that was and that was yeah, I mean that's what was sort of so that was what Stalin was doing was like establishing this kind of again almost like the original um meaning of the dacha court-based right dacha allotment clusters yeah clusters and but much more widespread than like peter the great's peter the great <laughs> peter the first uh court <laughs> <laughs> and and it's obviously not the same but you do get these like systems of privilege and class if if Anyone didn't know that that exists in the Soviet era, you should know that. It's very clear. It's not like everyone was the same. It's not. No, everyone was the same. Confused. So these like VIP areas. And again, within that, there's variety. So some people only have a couple of rooms. Some people have big ass, nice country houses. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just picturing them with those like badges you have to wear to signal that you are a VIP. (laughs) (laughs) Like beep, beep. (laughs) Um, And so the writers can, you know, Stalin wanted them to be able to like produce their best socialist realist work in the comfort of their summer home and like pretend to be whatever secluded little mm-hmm. Russian souls. Who's the like, yeah, I was gonna say like Emerson's or something. Yeah, you really have Thoreau. to get in touch with your Thoreau, with your natural you, side. Yeah. Just a short train ride from the city. So, like, the great terror is happening and the writers are like... That's actually... That's an interesting thing that you brought up the terror because the terror really... The height of which was in the late 30s, 37, 38, was very visible in Dacha circles because you have these high... The the people who are the target of the terror tend to be the, like, higher apparatchiks or, like, the party members or the elite in some way. Right. And they're more the targets, and you have these whole communities where it's only them. It's right. not diverse. So you and sometimes like, and get, they have their own house. It's like there's a guy in his house, well, and now he's not there. Yeah. So so you get this like really much more noticeable emptying of certain areas, which wouldn't be okay. as noticeable in the city with apartments. It's like a ghost town of Dodges. Yeah, that you really happened. giveth and taketh away that yeah. one. It's like you, you just gave you me a Dodge like last year, and now you're putting me before I a court. It was more like ten years, but yeah, uh, he got comfortable. Too comfortable, <laughs> says Dodge. You forgot about the inventory numbers on that furniture. <laughs> rah, rah. <laughs> it's not actually yours. Yeah, it's <laughs> fucked up. It's scary. But since we've been talking about like categories, I want to just give a little more specifics. Um, you probably got 
the idea by now that that there's like a a lot of diversity in terms of what adacha is and that that meaning shifts over time but by the 70s so after a more sort of like popular mass popularization and everything that happened post-war and then this combination of sustenance and leisure that i was talking about Mm -hmm. by the 70s you have what one historian identified as four main types of dachas okay you have i mean this may or may not be helpful to conceptualizing you have the departmental one which is what the writers fall under okay uh, the writers colonies being given by the type of work you do the place that you're you work or your position then you have the dacha plot which is a piece of land that you can build a dacha and it's zoned for that Mm -hmm. and it was probably given to you via your employer or some organization that you're part of or via a cooperative which is more communal there's like maybe one piece of land that everybody is like building on together or something like that maybe people share the houses or something like that then the third kind is a dwelling of some sort on a garden allotment so originally it was there for gardening and then maybe you built the shed and then by the 70s it's okay for you to have an actual structure there that you live in okay and that's almost like yeah by the that era those like the dacha plot and the allotment plot I think have really melded for a lot of people and they're not really like it's only differentiated in history it's not like differentiated by people and then the last one I find the most confusing which is the privately owned dacha which is that you actually like bought it and I'm not sure how that happens or like when that happens but that I think by the 70s is something happening that's like See, like, what I mean is I know how that happens, but I don't know how, like, official that was. Because, like, there's that movie I was watching called The Dacha, which is from 1973, I think, or 71. And it's about, like, you know, a, just a regular Soviet young family, which just means a couple, who, <laughs> who saves up their cash and buys a Dacha from another young family okay. who wants to buy a car. So okay. they're, like, they have their middle class aspirations and stuff but not middle class. <laughs> and they buy it for 4,000 rubles. And it happened. It's a I cash can. transaction. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how much 4,000 rubles was at the time, but not so little. <laughs> but it's a cash transaction, which makes me think that was, you know, that original family had it, got it by some like inheritance or some kind of, maybe like their parents built it in the 20s and then the laws shifted and then whatever. Right. And they had it and they sold it. But like, I feel like it's unlikely that that was being officially recorded. So, yeah. So those are the four categories by the 70s that exist, all under the umbrella term of dacha. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, starting in the early Soviet era, this is the thing that is interesting to me, is like at the same time you have a particularly Soviet development of health, leisure, that very much comes from the tradition of like, the 19th century tradition in all of Europe and including Russia aristocracy of resorts and spas and all of that nice stuff. And this is when like Crimea starts to become a central place for aristocracy to go like rest and take the waters and stuff like that. Um, Be by the sea, seaside resorts. And that's under Nicholas the first. That's when the czar family, like the royal family builds their Crimean dacha palace okay. and so you have like which like by comparison with dachas in like the russian countryside hold like maybe very little 
similarities, but they just call it a dacha. Yeah. It's like, it's like when we, were, when we were talking about those like two country homes that the Russian government owns in the U.S. that um, Obama, right at the end of his term, like restricted access to during the whole like sanction thing after the meddling accusations. And they, the Russian government referred to those properties as dachas, even though they're like properties in Maryland. Yeah, which is really interesting. That's That gives you, I think that's a really good example of how this like, word is very much a con it's like a an ethos or something it doesn't actually it's not really about the zoning not really about the size not really about the like it's about the like it being the second home that you go to yeah it's about like your your attitude towards it i feel like your attitude towards it as a russian yeah and like just a just a little tad more on this like whole leisure waters culture like health culture you have that start in the 19 in the early 19th century of like the royal family having a Crimean dacha or whatever and then people going to the beaches for health reasons and stuff of Crimea and then you also have like the building under the Soviet era of sanatoria sanatoria which are what are sanatoriums sanatoria they're complexes near a body like a, a beach where people go to be healthy, yeah. like to restore themselves. Yeah, it's confusing because I feel like we use sanatorium to mean like the loony bin. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so whenever I hear that, I have to like correct mentally because that's immediately what I picture. Because we we think of sanatoria as a place where you go to become healthy from being ill mentally. Mentally, yeah. Whereas at the time, sanatoria was just where you go to like be healthy from being you're not sick, sick just to like yeah, yeah. Restore. to rejuvenate it's yeah. like a basically a spa a right? spa but in a collective sense we're like so again this is this is the parallel with how dachas worked in the soviet era from the beginning um sanatoria were were often like built um or more like they were visited by groups of people who were grouped by their profession so uh, you had like the military or like the navy sanatory, or then you also had like the some kind of worker, some particular factory. Like it could be by factory in a city. Mm-hmm. Like this factory every summer goes to this sanatorium in this small town in Crimea, and like you know takes it over because it's a lot of people, and has this sort of collective health spa vacation it's together. Really alive, intense time with your coworkers. Yes, <laughs> but it's also really cool if you think about like what factory workers are generally able to do this is like yeah yeah um and that i just think that's worth talking about because he doesn't talk about that a lot in the book like i think he my mythical author um like when i was reading about what dachos at least were first intended for i was like thinking about this these other soviet collective uh health vacation phenomena and I think they're like, at least in the pre-war era, potentially the whole time, they're like running parallel to each other. They don't necessarily replace the other one, but they are doing similar functions, except for the food part. So that's when the post-war like sustenance up and through the 90s becomes very unique to the dacha phenomenon, which is like, this is my person, and it's my personal plot. And that's the other thing why like this history is so kind of odd for Russia in particular because Rus- the Russian history of property ownership is like really weird and strange not just in the Soviet era yeah I feel like I I 
knew that already, but especially this trip, I really got the sense of that because I feel like Pasha told us some stories where people were just given stuff and then we went to Bryansk and like they were, they just were given this like beautiful property for free from the government and now they pay what, 20 rubles a year in property tax. Yeah, but that was, that's crazy because that was post, I mean, that's like recent. That was in the 90s. I mean, that's just the nine. I think the 90s. I know. It it is. It's really bizarre coming from a country that where like property is so coveted and so expensive. And the fact that like they were just like giving away plots left and right. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's interesting that that was happening and potentially is still happening in the post-Soviet era, and it was definitely happening pre-Soviet and during Soviet. It's like so Russia has so the, much land on its hands. It's like, oh, whatever. Just go get something <laughs> here. This, I mean, the other big theme that comes up in the history of the Dacha is why doesn't Russia have suburbs? And there is an answer Suburbs to that. in the way that we have suburbs. Suburbs in the American, maybe Euro-American. Yeah. And also, I don't know. Like, does Japan have suburbs? I feel like they do. Yeah. I feel like they do. Like Tokyo and then houses. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. That's what Murakami taught us. (laughs) Because sometimes they live in the suburbs. That's what Murakami told me. Um, Why doesn't Russia have suburbs? It turns out it's not so by chance. Because it's not just like they didn't naturally develop. And that's what happened. I mean, it's sort of like what we suspected, which has a lot to do with like the way the Soviet city planning worked. But the three factors that that I read about um, in terms of why you don't get an organic development of suburbs from a city. So you have like apartment buildings, apartments, apartments. That's where everyone's living, which I didn't say explicitly, but just so you know, everyone is living in an apartment. That's where they're living. And then they have a dacha. So it's important because it's not like they have two houses. Right. They have an apartment and they have a dacha. It's probably communal, at least for some, some era. Before the 60s, a lot of people are living in communal apartments. Okay. People still live in communal apartments now, but not nearly so many people. It's, it's, it's a little confusing because we, I feel like in episodes we've referenced the suburbs a lot. And in those cases, you're referencing a specific phenomenon that wouldn't have any correlation to american suburbs i mean am i like when am i referencing them you you talk about so like these like artificial sprouting up buildings that are like high rises in the middle of a field you refer to those as the suburbs yeah so i might refer to the suburbs meaning like a place that's outside of the city proper and that which are also called like sleepy neighborhoods or whatever, right? <laughs> not sleepy. I don't, at least not in English. What are they called in English? They're called bedroom communities. Okay, we had this conversation that my mom was like, I can't believe you don't know this. Yeah. And now I don't know it still. But that means something different. I mean, you just, there isn't, I don't think there's a parallel because the physical presence of these places in Russia doesn't look anything like a bedroom community. Okay, so yeah, what I what what we do see in Russian cities is apartments in the center, and then as you leave the center, our landlady is here, so we got to wrap it up. As you leave the center, you also have tall buildings. But I need to get through the reasons why you, that happened, why you don't have little houses and little greenery like right. And, and this is this is important because. If you live in a suburb where you like have a little bit in America, let's use America, where you live in a little house and you have a, maybe a small amount of land or like a pool or something, the necessity for a dacha or a weekend house exists less. It's like everything is consolidated exactly. into one location versus these people that are living in like tiny apartments. And yeah. And so 
and the, some of the reasons that people point to, historians point to as to why that didn't develop, um, this suburban phenomenon, is A, the politics of land sale, how that works, how can you or can you not buy land, or how a person acquires a piece of land. Okay. Transport being late, quote unquote. Okay. And so train transport, because they had a bunch of horse transport. Okay. And then the biggest one, oh, and then in the Soviet period, you had these two important ones, which are much more like planned. One of them is this focus on a centralized urban area. That's what you want. And that's what you care about. And it's ideological that people live together. It's important that they live in, in these like close quarters, plus housing, housing shortages. Right. The other ideological aspect is making it not like the West on purpose. So, like, that's another sort of being, because like... suburbs are soul-crushing. Suburbs are... Compartmentalizing. Fragment, compartmentalizing, yeah. fragmenting. People become, like, isolated in their little homes. Or in their boxes, yeah. Yeah, and so all On, of... Especially true. in the 50s when that happened, it was just, like... Oh, God. I mean, so that's part of, like, The beginning what, of the end. <laughs> why urban planning made it so that you don't have suburbs as we know them today, but you have a different kind of suburb, as I was mentioning, now that's growing up in the post-Soviet era, which is these, like monstrous high-rises built like pretty far from the metro in this like oh big open spaces and there's huge spaces between them and they're just like yeah they're they're really apocalyptic and, and not good and they're like encroaching upon like landfills and then people are living with trash smells which yeah that's the episode folks thank you for listening as always be sure to support your good friends on patreon at patreon.com slash in russia follow us on twitter and telegram as she's in russia if you have a question about russia which none of you ever seem to do give us a call at plus one two three four seven two nine two seven one two six or you can call us at she's in russia on skype also this week I think, yeah, this week the newsletter is coming out. So if you would like, like to, to see receive, some pictures of dachas, different types of dachas, or different types of dachas. Also, we've been traveling Whatever. a lot, so you're going to see some real pics that we took. Hopefully, some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Greece if we're feeling like we want to do that. So sign up for that at chasingrussia.com, and we will see you next week. Say goodbye to the people. Goodbye. Drop.